it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids, but I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Good morning. Welcome to School Days. Help for moms and dads of school-aged kids. I'm Danita Bailey. Well, this is our first social distancing version of School Days. My guests will be joining us via video chat until we're all clear to get back to normal, whatever that might be. We're glad to be able to continue to provide great programming and expert information to you about topics that impact our school-aged kids. According to the 2019 report from Prosperity Now, millions of Americans are one missed paycheck away from poverty. Let's be honest, that's really scary. And there's many of Americans right now that are in that position right now or soon will be. The Federal Reserve says that 40% of Americans don't have enough cash to pay an unexpected bill of $400. Right now, many of us face an uncertain economic future, but our nation will recover. My hope is that we will recover with lessons about economics and personal finance that will make us wiser and that we can pass down to our kids. Lessons of generosity, of caring for those around us and not just looking out for ourselves. Lessons that will help our kids develop healthy attitudes and behavior towards money that will enable them to flourish as adults. Before we go any further, let me just say it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school days show and hashtag I am school days. And also we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-444-5575. Or if you're live with us right now on Facebook, you can drop us a line there. Without further ado, let's let our Kidcasters introduce today's guest. Our Kidcasters today are brother and sister Elgory and Clark Hurd. Let's start with Clark, who's a fourth grade student. Stephen L. Cobb is the Associate Dean for Administrative Affairs in the College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences at the University of North Texas. He also serves as the Director of the Center for Economic Education and is an associate professor in the Department of Economics. Dr. Cobb received his PhD in economics in 1987 from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He joined the faculty of the University of North Texas in 1986. Dr. Cobb conducts research in the areas of economics and personal finance education, international trade, and economic development, and has received many awards for his work. He conducts teacher workshops for school districts throughout the United States and teaches, trains, and consults internationally. Welcome to School Days, Dr. Cobb. (laughs) All right. Great to be here. Thank you for coming, Dr. Cobb, or not coming, actually. (laughs) Thank you for making yourself available. (laughs) Wow, that was was quite an intro. You did a great job. (laughs) And now let's hear from seventh grader Elgary Hurd. Salvador Villalobos has been in the financial sector for over 23 years, 
providing the best real estate financing options available to his clients, from a first-time homebuyer to the savvy investor. One of his passions in life is promoting and providing financial literacy to adults and children in our community as the Hispanic Real Estate Brokers Association Community Outreach Director. Another driving force in Mr. Villalobos' life is helping individuals and families create generational wealth through real estate. As membership director for the National Association of Hispanic Real Estate Professionals, he helps educate real estate professionals to better serve our communities. Mr. Villalobos is a proud and involved father of three young, high-energy kids and is fortunate enough to be married to his beautiful bride of 16 years. When not working, he is helping in one of the kids' schools, serving as a PTA council delegate or volunteering at one of the three boards he sits on. You will find him in the gym staying fit so we can keep up with them. Welcome to School Days, Mr. Villalobos. Thank you so much. All right. Well, let's just jump right in. So why do you guys believe it's important to teach kids about personal finance? All right. Well, let me jump in on that one. I, I think that habits are formed early and that it's important to start our education on personal finance early the same way we would with math or with English or with science uh, areas. And uh, so, you know, I'm an advocate for kindergarten through 12th grade, uh, integrating personal finance into schools. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the benefits um, that come from personal finance and personal financial responsibility? They're creating those, those, uh, those habits early on. Um, It's not only teaching them, but also living them. If you have your kids, uh, showing them how to be financially um, savvy with your money. Um, when you're out with their friends, the same thing. You know, it's it's, it's a question of not only teaching them, but also uh, enforcing those habits of uh, learning how to, to manage their money correctly. Yeah. And Salvador, um, your organization decided to develop a financial literacy program for kids. Why did you guys feel like that was something that was important to do? Well, I, I had gone to a career day and talking to kids between kindergarten through sixth grade and uh, fifth grade. Many kids don't even know what a mortgage is. So, mm-hmm. uh, the standpoint of how do you get a mortgage? You know, a mortgage helps you buy a home, but what are the pro- what is the process? What do you have to do? How do you have to uh, learn to save money? Uh, learn of what a credit card? Because I'd ask the question, what do you uh, if you want a toy? What do you do? I ask mom. Where does your mom? Uh, how does she pay for it with her credit card? Oh, and who pays for that? Well, nobody. It's a, it's just on the card. And I keep asking that question, but I, I pose that question to every grade based on their grade level. And there, you know, if it was a candy or if it was a skateboard or a game, uh, gaming system or a robotic system. So uh, I geared it to them and they start at first, you know, they had this conception, but kept going in and I kept asking questions and I kept, uh, bringing it back to that it's not free money. It has to come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came back and, and, and they started to grasp that idea all the way from 
first, you know, from kindergarten all the way through through the fifth grade. And the teacher said, wow, I wish I would have learned. Almost every teacher said the same thing. I wish I would have learned at, at that age. Uh, things might be uh, completely different now. But so Sal, you, you, you hit on a really critical point there because as we move away from cash as a society, it makes it tougher for students to really understand uh, the, the value of money because whether it's credit cards or debit cards or now with Venmo and uh, you know other forms of cash transfer, they don't actually see the payment. Uh, so it's coming out of a parent's bank account. They're writing a check later or they're online banking to pay off that credit card bill. But that's the piece that the kids don't see. They're at the store. You pull out this piece of plastic. You take home the groceries or you take home some clothes and uh, we don't ever complete the loop. And so it does create this impression in the young children that those are magic pieces of plastic. That <laughs> just buy things. Mm -hmm. And even on cartoons, um, I have a young daughter, she's six years old. Uh, God bless her. She's finding ways of creating wealth for herself. So she drew, she cut out and drew a credit card. <laughs> Going to the store, she goes, where, where, why do you need, why do I need to pay? Let's go. And she's like, no, I need to go get my credit card. I'm like, your credit card? Oh yeah, I made a credit card. So that's what actually got me started with this. It's like, <laughs> even though we have been very vigilant of, of demonstrating that it's not a card, you know, there's, you know, there's something has to pay for this. And that's why we're working in, you know, but, and, you know, by us spending more on this, we're taking away from giving you what you really need and what you really, you know, deserve just to, to satisfy a, a, a want at this moment. So the disconnect there was the other influences, your friends, your, or, you know, your, the TV, the, the shows that they're watching. Because, you know, she's six years old watching certain shows and kid-friendly kid shows or family-friendly shows, but they're giving the wrong message. And... Mm. That's something that we need to to not only enforce verbally, but through our actions as well. Um, so how early, you said she's six, how early do you recommend that we start teaching financial literacy? Me personally, as soon as they can go to the store and buy. I mean, because it's a question of comparison shopping. Uh, why? And, and, the, and the question is always brought up to me when they were younger, it was brought up to me. Why do you always keep look, going back and forth and looking at the little numbers on the <laughs> shelf? What, what is, yeah. you know, it's, there's a cost per ounce. What is an ounce? Well, this, it's this much, you know, and I would, I'll bring it down to the level and it's going to cost me this much to buy this many, but if I don't use all of it, it really costs me much more than to buy. You know. So as soon as they can comprehend, as soon as they can ask you a question of what are you doing? I believe that's when you can start teaching them mm. because there's no, because, you know, eventually they're going to, they learn by example. And one of my, my middle son, that's every time he wants to go buy a late, he's into Legos, he's into different things. They go in and research who has it less expensive uh, and where is it coming from and shipping and is there tax associated? I mean, they get granular because it's their money that they're spending. And I love that. And then take it one step further is like, do you really want that 
toy, it's going to cost you $40, $50 that you've saved for a while, or is there a bigger um, prize that you want to get? Maybe uh, a complete robotic set that's going to propel you into, you know, into your career that you want to get into. But if you spend this money now, it's going to take you that much longer. Let's do the math. And at times you're like, yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I don't need it. And other times it's like, well, no, I really want it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now one of the ways we, we see if they're picking up on this or not is in, in many cases they're indicating that they want something until you say, okay, well, that's going to be your money that uh, you're going to have to spend that on. If they think mom and dad uh, <laughs> is going to buy it, they have a very different sense of whether they want it or not. When you change it over to their money and, uh, you know, they rethink uh, those decisions. But that also means that the kind of lessons you're talking about are beginning to, to sink in. The thing I would add uh, with your grocery store experience, which I love the comparison shopping, but also the idea of a budget. Uh, if we look in terms of the curriculum, we start uh, in the schools, they're supposed to be talking about budgets in their math classes as early as third grade. But, you know, I think sometimes we try to protect our kids from the family finances and we don't want them to feel pressure uh, about knowing money may be a little tight or something. But, you know, I think it's really better if we talk to them about, uh, you know, the kind of decisions that are being made. Because if you go to the store and say, we have X amount of money that we can spend today, we need to look at, you know, what we're going to be able to get within that budget uh, for the kids. It can almost become a game in terms of, you know, trying to figure out how we can get the most food uh, within the, the budget dollars that, that we've got, but they start to see that money's not unlimited. Mm. And uh, then we start looking at those important choices that have to be made. Yeah. Hey, can you tell me, so since you're you're right in the thick of this uh, with what you've been doing for years, why is teaching financial literacy not been more of a primor- uh, priority? Well, Benita, I think that uh, part of that is is really a historical thing. That you know, if we go back in terms of education, we started out in schools. We're supposed to do you know reading, writing, arithmetic, the three R's. And uh, it was a lot of work in terms of getting science in there, getting social studies in there, then starting to get the arts and creative uh, areas in there for the students. And in so many cases, what we find is that there's a resistance just because there's a sense that the curriculum is too crowded. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the big breakthrough in terms of personal finance education is, you know, hard as it is to say this, was the Great Recession, 2008. And people started realizing that, you know, poor financial decisions by households all across the United States contributed to the economic downturn that was being experienced. And so all of a sudden, there was a renewed emphasis across the United States to get more personal finance into the curriculum. Now, you know, we've had varying degrees of success, uh, you know, in different parts of the country. In Texas, uh, while we've had an economics course required in the curriculum for years, personal finance is in the curriculum 
as part of math in K through eight. And Texas added a high school class uh, four years ago, but it's not required for the students to take that one semester class in personal finance. So the result is it's still a very small percentage of the Texas students that end up taking the personal finance class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if my child is taking a personal finance class and learning it and it's being intertwined into the curriculum as well, why is it important that I get involved in helping them become financial literate, be, become financially literate? Jumping on that one, you have to enforce what you're doing. If, if, you know, if they don't go home and do their homework, <laughs> they, they're not putting in the material. And it's the same thing with your finances. You need to, you need to uh, reinforce it as a parent, get involved. Uh, like the doctor said, uh, creating a budget. I mean, that's a great idea. I mean, they see that we do have a budget and we do something similar to that. Uh, my wife, wife does. She, she's very good at it. Like, let's buy this. She's like, no, I only want to spend this and that's it. And the kids hear me. Well, let's get this. She's like, I don't have three kids. I have four kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not, but see that. And then sometimes I do it because of that, to see that it's not just because you're a kid, you know, we're not going to get, it's not as important because you're a child, but also, Hey, you, you're one of the breadwinners here, but no, you know, this is what it is. This is our budget. And this is where we stick to mm -hmm. the downturn. actually turned my life around because I didn't have, my parents were very good about saving and, and I did see it, but I wanted more and then more and more and more. And, and the, 2008 made me see different. And in a way it was a blessing for us because then my kids learn, see, uh, learn different. They know what, what we can spend and what we can't spend. I love how you brought that up doctor, because yes, you should not shel uh, uh, shelter them from reality. I mean, there's been times where it was challenging, you know, and early on, you know, after 2009, 2010, even, you know, 11 and 12 with the downturn being in sales, and they would see how we would budget and the conversations we had. Sometimes they were like, we would want to buy them something like, oh, no, no, I know money's tight. You know, and we're talking under 10 years old. Hmm. So we don't shelter them on that. I mean, the more that we can expose them to that. And, 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 I, and I put a post out there. Hey, they're at home school. They're learning how to wash dishes. They're learning how to wring a mop with their hand and, and no dish. But I'm trying to teach them that you can work. You may not have the job that you want at the moment, but you can work. You can save your money. You can go forward. Uh, because uh, I got off on a tangent here, but uh, <laughs> it's just important not to shelter them. To to you know give them. We want the best for them. We want them to succeed. How do they succeed? I work with a lot of young adults that are coming to, into a lot of money based on their careers. And you look at their statements for like two months and it's going out to eat. It's going to the show. It's spending like four or $500 on a hair. I mean, and I get into a little mini, you know, financial literacy class with them and yeah. some very much appreciate it. I'm like, Oh, I didn't know how much I was really spending. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, based on what you made past two months, you should be way ahead, but because now multiply that by 12 months and they're like, wow, I'm like, take it from me. When I was younger, 
I did the math for over 10 years. I probably spent about $30,000 in Starbucks coffee. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story. And, no. <laughs> uh, I did the math, and I just said maybe add a, you know, that money accrued 5%. It was mind-blowing. Hey, Sal, I do a... I do an example in my in my class with the freshmen. Oops, did we lose? No, we're good. Not okay. I, I do an example in my class with the freshmen uh, using the Starbucks coffee because they all come in and gosh, the Starbucks in our union just has lines out the door. <laughs> and uh, you know, I tell them, look, if you bought regular coffee just at the gas station uh, for a dollar instead of Starbucks coffee for four something and took that extra $3 and just set that aside and saved it, put it into a mutual fund and do that until you retire. If they did that as a 20 year old college student and they kept that up until they retired at 65, I've uh, worked it out. If they make 8% on average in the stock market over that time, it's three quarters of a million dollars that uh, <laughs> is the value of that. So I, I just tell my kids, it's like, Hey, you know, Maybe drink coffee from QT and buy Starbucks stock. You know, that is true. And, you know, when I was, oh, go ahead, Sal. Don't give up on both. Go buy, go get a Starbucks cup and go to QT every morning and fill that cup up. (laughs) (laughs) You want to make sure you play the part? (laughs) That exact example happened, well, not the exact example, but when I was probably 25, my car was starting to break down. I was starting to have to spend four hundred dollars a month pretty much on it and you know I was really feeling sorry for myself because I was like there's no way I can afford another car and when I did the math I was eating my car every month because I was eating out that much to the tune of a car payment yeah it's easy to do so Danita I want to go back to for just a second in terms of why it's really important for the parents to reinforce this at home and um you know it's the same thing with reading. If the only time our kids are reading is when they're at school, they're not, uh, you know, going home and reading, then they're not going to advance the way that we would like them to. Mm-hmm. We want them to be exposed to these concepts in school, but we want it to be reinforced when they go home. Now, our audience is parents, and so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tell a failure story on myself. Uh, but early on, when we were bringing personal finance concepts into the public schools, we developed a curriculum that's being used in a lot of the schools and we put together a parent guide that went with it. So as we would have the teachers teach a lesson, then the kids would go home and work on things with uh, their parents at home. And guys, it was the biggest failure I've probably ever had from a curricular standpoint. And so we were at PTA meetings and trying to, to figure this out. And what we found was that in a lot of cases, the parents didn't want to talk about bad financial decisions or Mm. financial mistakes that they had made. And so, you know, they didn't want to participate in this. And so, you know, the thing is, it's not important that you necessarily talk about, uh, you know, a mistake that you made. It can be hypothetical in many of these cases, but we just want to reinforce Uh, these ideas so that our kids won't have to go through 
some of the mistakes that we made, whether it's eating our new car or, <laughs> uh, you know, the young families you're working with uh, that want a mortgage and they're, you know, spending it all on entertainment and, uh, you know, eating out. So, you know, we can, by working with uh, the students, get them to a place where they're going to be much more financially savvy by the time they're 18 years old than we ever had a chance to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes to what the teacher said. Uh, again, because, you know, I would ask kids, what do you want? Oh, an iPhone. I'm like, wow, you want an iPhone? I still have the one from like three years ago and it's not an iPhone. Look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but ask them, what do you want? And, and the things that would come up, look, so how are you going to get that? Well, what about if you save that? And do you really need that? What do you really want? Well, besides now, what you think you need, what do you really want? And they would tell me, I'm like, so you need to save for that. You need to create a plan. What is the plan? That, so let's say that you uh, deliver newspapers. Some kids asked me, what is a newspaper? <laughs> but <laughs> I deliver newspapers. So, I mean, you get, these little, you get these jobs and you save your money. Every time you have a birthday party, you save your money. But then you need to go, you need to understand when you go to the store, do I really want to spend $5 here, $5 there, $10 here? Before you know it, you spent $100 on something that you really didn't want, but it, yeah. it looked nice. But what you really wanted was $120 and you were there, but you decided to buy all these little things. Now you're that much further away and you have stuff. And every time you look at that stuff, you're going to say, if I didn't buy that stuff, I would be over there. And as adults, we, you know, we forget that. Yeah. Or worse still, we uh, don't have any stuff to account for the little bits of money that we spent here and there. That yeah. happened. You know, I'm a I'm a big believer in the old fashioned piggy bank because you know I mean it's one of those places where they can they can save they can put that money together slowly but surely and. You know, Sal, it's it's tougher now for uh, the students to to get a job at an early age than it was certainly you know a hundred years ago when I was a kid. But uh, you know, they do have things like they get money for Christmas or they get money for their birthdays or things like that. And uh, you know, I'm a believer that when the kids get money, we talk to them about setting a little bit aside to spend a little bit that they're going to save. And, uh, you know, I'm even into the, you create a pile to share mm-hmm. and, you know, think about, uh, or, you know, talk with your children about being charitable. What do we, what do we want to talk to them about chair uh, being charitable? How should we broach that subject with them? Cause, um, kids are pretty selfish a lot of times <laughs> and, um, they, they want all, they want to keep all the money. Uh, you know, Danita, I think that if we frame it in terms of, you know, different things that are important to them, uh, that we find out that they're not nearly as selfish as we think. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, whether it's, you know, having them understand what the food bank is and, uh, you know, the people that are being helped by that or, you know, different charities that are out there. So sometimes... Uh, you know, and depending on how you grew up, they might think that the the only place that uh, they think of as charity is maybe, you know, contributing money at Sunday school if they're going to church or something along those lines. But if we kind of help them understand that there's 
all kinds of different ways that you can be charitable, then in many cases, they find something that they think is, is really important and, you know, see themselves saving pets or saving the environment or, or things like this. And so we find an area of interest that, uh, that, that hooks them. And that's where we really begin to see that charitable spirit. Yeah. And I think that right now it's a great time for us to bring that up with our kids because so many people are in need. Uh, there are lots of organizations that are gathering food and people are asking for donations for people that are out of work and really struggling right now. So now is a great opportunity to do that. And clothing. I mean, kids go leaps and bounds. And oh, some- yeah cold outside you know they don't need clothes sure they do they need gym shoes they need socks they need whatever it is they need because my kid i mean in one year he's like tower he was at my shoulder and now he's like this. You know? uh, i'll make him kneel when he gets near me but the thing is um we can't forget that and, and i mean and i love what you why you brought that that you brought that up doctor because they may not have to like give you physically the money, but they may go to the store, feel empowered and buy a can of a can of uh, whatever it is, some kind of food, some kind of packaged food. There you go. Have that ownership of, Hey, I did this myself and then take them to the food bank and and, and make a deposit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, this is also uh, Danita, one of those cases where there's, there's great examples that, that they're seeing. We know that with the kids, uh, they, they look up to a lot of the athletes. And, uh, you know, we're seeing things. They had a group of the Dallas Cowboys that uh, were bringing meals to, to first responders over the weekend. Nice. Uh, two, two of the Dallas Mavericks players have, uh, you know, contributed a, a significant amount of money to provide childcare for, uh, you know, doctors and nurses that, uh, you know, are still providing health for people that are, you know, that are, you know, catching the coronavirus. And so we're seeing, you know, high profile people that they recognize being charitable. And so that's a that's a great way to get those conversations started. Mm -hmm. Let me ask. So, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. Kids watch everything that we do. And we are their primary influencer on their financial attitudes and behaviors. So what do we need to change as parents that we are inadvertently teaching our kids? Selfishness. Mm, Talk about that. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, we want what we want and we get it when we want it. Mm. Because it's hard, we're going to take a trip, you know, we're going to take a trip. We can't afford it, but we're going to take a trip and we're going to spend two to $3,000 on that vacation. It's not bad if you can pay cash and you still have your reserves, but if you're struggling or if, you know, you can't, you can't uh, weather a three month uh, uh, occurrence, why spend that money? There's other ways of doing it. Go camping, you know, buy the equipment, go camping. It's much less expensive. Um, do a staycation, you know, it's, it's less expensive or, you know, you really need to go and uh, buy a brand new car every couple of years, or even better yet, a phone every year. I know some people, and I used to be that person. Every year, I'd want a new phone because it was a new, new the newest and and, and latest. Uh, you know, maybe it's my old age, 
But because, uh, <laughs> you know, I wanted something, I would go get it. And, and that was it. And I'm and again, the downturn completely changed my my point of view back in 2008. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we went through some extremely tough times. We didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. Um, it was quite challenging, but that only strengthened our family unit and we're showing by example. So now, yeah, we'll take our vacation, but we won't take these luxurious uh, over the top uh, vacations. Not saying that we won't, but right now it, you know, there's other things that are more pressing. Um, You know, if you're able to help somebody that's in a situation, maybe give them a hundred dollars a month. Uh, or, or 150. We've done that with other people. You know, we were blessed, and and not and, and when we can, we'll try to bless somebody else. Uh, because you know, we're here to serve. You know, and my my son asked me, "What's your definition of success?" And I'm like, "Success is serving those that you can serve, and those that you can't, sending them to those you can." Hmm. Why? Because all comes around. We're once, eventually, we are going to become those at some time, or we were. So. Uh, But, you know, I I think another piece of this is to have those discussions, to bring them in to uh, the financial decisions that are that are being made. I mean, we talked before about the the credit cards and how easy it is for the kids to just think that that's some kind of, you know, magic payment mechanism and you can buy everything you want as long as you have the credit card. But if we actually then take them through and say, Okay, I do this now, but at the end of the month, I have to make a payment uh, for all those things that I bought on the credit card. Then they start to kind of put the pieces together. And, uh, you know, Sal, uh, I like your example in terms of the vacations. But, you know, if you have that family conversation about, okay, this is our option this year. Uh, You know, we've only got, you know, this amount of money so we could do the staycation, we could, you know, maybe go camping or something, but it needs to work within a budget. The the kids start to understand uh, what the parents have, you know, been struggling with in many of these cases, and they become part of the decision and learn from that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When we go to the store, it's a great place to teach your kids, I guess, the grocery store. It is. (laughs) Dad, I want this toy, I want this book, or I want this. I'm like, well, fine. No, I don't. Can you lend me money? I'm like, I can't lend you money, uh, but I'll lend you money. All right. $5. But as soon as we get home, you need to pay me. And if you don't pay me uh, within the hour, you're going to owe me 10% of $5. What is that? Oh, 50 cents. And if you don't, <laughs> it's going another 10%. So now it's a dollar that you owe me. Now, instead of five, it costs you six. And if you don't pay me the following day, it goes up another 10%. And then I start teaching recruiters at that point. And if it's not, I mean, they'll, and, and I'll have them pay me that money. And they're like, that's fair. I'm like, well, life is not fair. This is what happens when you use credit. And uh-huh. now brother asked me for money. I'm going to use that money that you just paid me to pay, to lend him the money. And if he doesn't pay me, I'm going to be the one rich, not you. Yeah. You know, my father was an entrepreneur. And whenever I would ask him for a big item, he would always say, okay, how many hours do you need to put in at my office in order to uh, earn that thing that you want? So it was, 
he wasn't one to just give things away. Um, so I really learned the value of a dollar early on. Yeah. Those are, those are important lessons that, uh, you know, we don't want to shelter them from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's get a little bit into, um, I want to talk about, you know, kind of the economy is scary right now. Like I talked about in the intro and we don't know what's going to be, what's going to happen. And a lot of people are losing jobs and losing income. And, um, Sal, you mentioned the importance of being transparent with your kids. Um, how does do you feel like that might change a little bit right now with the heightened emotions that we all have right now um regarding coronavirus and um you know covid-19 cuz kids i know at least in my house uh my kids are a little bit scared and i don't want to exacerbate that by um being too transparent about finances what yeah. do you guys think about that i don't uh I don't hide anything. Life is life. Um, that's my style, right? Mm -hmm. Life is life. And they see and they hear the, the press conferences. And I'm like, you know what? We have God and he's what help us weather this through. There's always going to be challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, let's bring everything back to a spirituality. Uh, we saw um, it was late at night and the kids were already going to sleep. And I mean, by late, I mean late, maybe about 11. Joel Austin was on and he was talking exactly about that. And I brought them back in. I'm like, Hey, come here. I'm like, Dad, we go to sleep an hour ago. I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> come over here with me. And they listened. I'm like, because I need to hear it. And if I need to hear it, I know they need to hear it. And it was talking about, there's always be some kind of trials and tribulations, but you have to look past that. You learn from where you're at. You don't stay where you're at. So, um, I'm like, hold them. This is what I went through in 2008 during this downturn. But we got through that and, you know, we're much better off than we were back then. Things are going to happen, but you need to survive. You know that you're always going to come ahead as long as you do the right thing. Hmm. So I don't think we should come. And because I've been teaching my kids that since they've been, since I, since I can remember, I've always been very upfront with them as well as my wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't like to sugarcoat anything. And 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 they accepted it. They they realized even my daughter, I mean, she wasn't up at that time, but we let her know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, with them. So Danita, I mean, we 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 certainly don't want our kids to to be any more stressed than than they have to be at at, at this point in time. But I think there are a lot of teachable moments here. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, I mean, these are some of those cases where we can look at uh, you know, what's happening in terms of people losing their jobs. And, you know, we talk about the fact that, you know, uh, in, in my case, uh, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to teach, even though it's, it's moved to an online format. And, you know, we talk about the fact that there's a, there's a gratitude element to this, mm. that uh, you know, we're fortunate that uh, we're not in a position where I'm going to lose my job. And so then we start focusing on, you know, how do we help others? at this particular point in time. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've looked at, uh, we may at this point actually be eating out more than we would be otherwise, not physically going, but, you know, trying to support the, the local restaurants that are kind of family owned uh, that are struggling. So with the, the closures and things, but the ones that are providing, you know, to go only, 
you know, we're trying to, to pick some out and, uh, you know, go and make sure that we're continuing to, to buy from them to try to help them to, to keep things uh, going during times like this. And so, you know, I think it's, a, it's an opportunity to talk about where people are, are struggling and, uh, you know, what are the ways that, that we can help uh, to, you know, uh, assure that this isn't as huge a crisis as it could potentially be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I also hate to say, but in, in some ways, I, I think we'll see a resurgence in terms of interest in personal finance education in the schools the same way we did after the Great Recession mm-hmm. in 2008 as a result of this, uh, you know, coronavirus. Yeah. I have a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and uh, and a 7-year-old in my house, okay? And they all have very different views of money. My 12-year-old, as soon as he gets some money in his pocket, he can't wait to get it back out. (laughs) He wants to spend it immediately. So how do you instill a sense of responsibility um, as far as finances in these little minds that really kind of don't understand the ramifications of some of the the decisions that they make. So I I think Sal had a great answer on that uh, earlier where he was talking about that if you can kind of take the opportunity to go back and review and look at some of the small purchases that they made that, that are things that they didn't need, that they didn't really get that much enjoyment out of and add up the amount of money that they spent on those and then show them the bigger thing that they really would have enjoyed much more if they had just had a little bit of patience and saved up a little bit in order to get something that would be a lot more fun for them and last a lot longer. We start to, you know, teach them that thing that, that is so hard uh, for kids and it's that delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most of us uh, don't do a great job necessarily as parents in terms of uh, the delayed gratification side of things. But if we can you know, show them how we save up for certain things and uh, it makes it possible and then you know, look at ways that they could have had something much better and they start through reflection to, to learn some of those lessons. Yeah. And I think it's also difficult sometimes for parents, maybe if they didn't feel like they grew up. Um, as affluent as they would have wanted to and didn't have what they needed, that sometimes we want to give our kids what we felt like we didn't have. And so we kind of give them more than what they need uh, and, you know, give them everything that they want, kind of filling a hole in ourselves, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, true. So true. I, I, I'm guilty of that or was guilty. But again, I mean, when I first found out that my son, I was having a boy, I spent a thousand dollars in baby clothes, not realizing a of it. <laughs> yeah, in, in two months, they'd all be too small. <laughs> I, I, I joke. And I, you know, we, we had to have three play pens, one for my parents' house, one for us for to carry around, and one, I mean, some absurd things. So, because I didn't want my kids to suffer. And my dad said something to me, and I didn't capture it at the time. And I, could not understand. I'm like, wow, that's so harsh. But he said, if you love your kids, 
you're going to let them feel a little uh, coldness. You're going to let them feel a little hunger because that's, you're teaching them life. And I, and I could not, I'm like, I'm never going to let my kid feel any pain. I'm not going to let them feel hunger. But after a while, I'm like, wow, he, he had some, I mean, that was wise. That was wisdom right there because you do need to let them, you know, it, because if we don't teach them now, imagine the pain that they're going to have when they're older, when they've blown their check. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, both of y'all have kids that are that are much younger than mine. Mine are adults married uh, out of the household. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a little something to look forward to. Is <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> the, these messages that you're teaching your kids, they, they do sink in. But it's, it's one of those where it doesn't happen immediately. It's gradual. And uh, over time, you're going to see those behaviors shift. And in many cases, it's not until they're out of the house. But college is that point where they do a lot of growing up. And I remember, you know, mine came back uh, from college and they were, they were saying, God, we were terrible to y'all when we were in middle school and yeah. we were so embarrassed because the minivan was so old that we didn't want it to be seen dropped off at school from that old minivan. But now we understand the sacrifices y'all were making in order to, you know, be able to help us get through college without having huge amounts of, of college debt. And so, you know, sometimes it's, it's just, they're soaking these things in, but they have to get a little bit older before they can really apply it and understand the lessons you're teaching. So, so keep it up. It all works out. Uh, you just don't always find out until they're in their 20s. Yeah, I remember my dad became a genius when I was about 23. <laughs> and I went back to him and I said, Dad, I'm sorry for everything. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> you mentioned those, those are great days as parents. <laughs> I know he he was very happy that day. <laughs> so you mentioned college just now. What are some of the benefits of having your teenager help pay for college? There's this is very polarizing subject, even in my own household. <laughs> um, I uh, grew up, you know, my father was a financial consultant. And um, so I he was always teaching me little lessons. But one of the things that he had me do was help pay for uh, my college education. And I found that to be very valuable because I learned to be resourceful. I learned um, that I better do my best here because this is not free, free money. So what do, what do you where do you guys fall on that? And uh, kind of what is your opinion about that? Anybody at all? Uh, <laughs> I, I look forward to for them to to work <laughs> it's to pay for the for no other reason just for that self of you know you're paying for your own education yes your parents helped you but you did it on your own and it's for you to either waste your money or to invest it how do you want to how do you want to look back at that because it's so many it's so easy to skip a year, not do as well, because it's not your money. You know, it's like when you buy kids uh, expensive gym shoes or expensive clothes, they don't care. They'll throw it, they'll run, they'll scrape it. They don't care of it. But if they spend with their own money, man, you better not even look at those shoes wrong. Because, <laughs> I mean, seriously, and it's the same thing with education. I mean, uh, if you're paying for everything, what, what, they feel that they're entitled to, to get everything and anything. And if they don't, 
feel like finishing, then it didn't cost them anything. It's not tangible. But so, to it, it's tangible because they had to work. They they had to they had to limit themselves from some kind of enjoyment because they were working. I used to have friends that would come in over the summer and get jobs at the transit, uh, working. You know, either as taking in the coins or as and the conductors. Or I had friends working as a wait staff, even through school. Guess what? They they all made it through, and they all appreciated the sacrifices that their parents made for their own uh, sacrifice because they thought it twice. And a few times they thought of giving up, but like, man, I invested so much time and money. I'm not going to do that. So there, there's a couple of things that, that I see and you, you need to understand on my campus, uh, over 80% of our student body is working, uh, if not full-time, at least 30 hours a week outside of the classroom. And we need to, in some cases, make the distinction between paying for college and paying for a certain lifestyle mm-hmm. while in college. Oh, wow. And the, the one piece that, uh, you know, I, I really worry about is the amount of debt that uh, a lot of students are building up in terms of getting their college education. And so, you know, when I'm weighing things as far as the the role of the parent and the role of the students. Uh, I like to see a case where the parents are very involved in terms of the, the actual cost of college, so that tuition uh, that's there, and that uh, the student component is more involved in terms of that, that lifestyle uh, that they have. Uh, so, you know, both of my kids uh, work their way uh, through school, but again, they were paying for kind of the, the lifestyle element of it, I paid for their tuition so that they were able to graduate without, uh, you know, huge student loan debt. And, uh, you know, so many times I see people that are 10 or 20 years into their career and they're still being held back in a lot of their financial decisions by the amount of student loans that they ran up. The, the other piece that uh, I worry about is that a lot of my students, when I look at their GPA, and you know, I spend a lot of time writing letters of recommendation and things, they, they have a GPA that's a full letter grade below their potential, and it's simply because of the schedule that they had. Uh, I've tonight that's uh, all seniors, and uh, you know, I've got students that are you know maybe in their sixth year. Uh, getting their degree, they're working three jobs, they have a family, and they're trying to take, you know, four or five classes because they want to get out uh, because they need to get to the point where they can get their career started and get out of school. And, uh, you know, just the combination of the amount of work that they're doing, the family obligations, and trying to go to school slows them down to the point that, uh, you know, they may take six or seven years to, to get through college and even then not have a GPA that reflects their true capability. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think we have to weigh those. But Dr. Cobb, uh, I'm not saying that they have, I'm not uh, encouraging that they work, you know, 30 hours during a week at, and, and still go to school. I think during the summertime, when they're, they are in their downtime, yeah. work as much as you can. Yes, it's our responsibility to, to help them pay for it. But I, I, 
I believe that some of that money that they earned over the summer, you can still have fun and, and go out. Yeah. Uh, earn money. Mm-hmm. Half of that money is going to go to pay for your tuition. The other half, we're, we're never going to leave them. Uh, you know. No, and, and, and Sal, I got, you know, well, I've already talked about the kids that come with, you know, Starbucks to every class that <laughs> don't need to be spending that. They've all got nicer phones than I have. They drive newer cars <laughs> than I do. Uh, so, you know, so much of this is is the lifestyle side. And, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in a generation when uh, there was the idea of the poor college student. And, uh, you know, I mean, in some ways, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're, you know, struggling a little bit while you're you're going to school, you know, living in the dorm or living forward to an apartment or, you know, something like that. That's okay. It gives you that sense that you really make the jump to the next level when you get out and get a real job. But, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't want to see them building up too much of the student debt. That's the, that's the one that really worries me because, you know, in the United States, student debt is greater than credit card debt. What do you think of, uh, you know, and, and, and I can't take credit for this. It was something that was uh, shared with me when in my early 20s. I saw a young gentleman of 23 buy a $320,000 condo and put 20% down. I'm like, a college student? 20%. Like, you must be a trust fund baby. And he's like, <laughs> oh, I'm like, so how do you put 20% down? And he's like, well, when I was born, my parents told my grandparents, you know, let us worry about buying their, their toys, their clothes. Here's an account where you can start depositing for their future. So every holiday, uh, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah, because they both, you know, he had yeah. <laughs> was a Jewish, another parent that was Christian. So they would uh, get double holiday gift money. So every birthday, every anytime, you know, graduations, they would deposit this money into this account. So three years later, you know, <laughs> the rule of uh, 84, right, or seven, um, just put him in that better position. And his money just keeps growing and growing and growing to this day. He hasn't, wow. didn't replenish it. It's replenishing on its own. Hmm. Well, you know, that's the... That, that's the lesson that comes with that power of compound interest. The, the earlier you start, uh, you know, the, the longer the time it's going to have to compound. And I see so many of the people that get out and start their career and they're not, uh, you know, making a full contribution into their 401k and taking advantage of employer matches uh, because of, you know, some of the debt that they're bringing in uh, at that stage of their life. And, uh, you know, we don't want to see them making those early decisions that are really going to keep them from being able to get the full advantage of compounding for their retirement. So, guys, what are some of the resources that you would recommend um, parents use to help teach their kids uh, financial literacy? So, you, know, you want to go, go ahead and start, Sal. No, I said call you. Okay. Uh, So there's actually uh, a gentleman from the Silicon Valley that uh, very successful and he got uh, 
uh, a little upset at the the lack of personal finance uh, curriculum in the schools when his kids were going to school. And he's put together a website, and it's called Next Gen Personal Finance. And so Next Gen Personal Finance uh, is, is the website. Now, you know, it's designed for, for individuals and also for teachers. So you can go in and uh, it'll lead you through, uh, you know, a monthly or an entire school year curriculum. But the other thing that, that I really like on uh, the Next Gen Personal Finance site is that they've created a whole series of interactives. Hmm. And uh, so, you know, your kids almost experience it like a computer game, uh, but they're personal finance based. And there's one that's called Broke. And uh, so you're essentially going in and you're working with a, with a very slim budget and, uh, you know, having to make financial decisions. And then, you know, something happens and you get an unexpected uh, trip to the hospital and have to pay for that. Uh, and it wasn't something that you'd been able to budget for. And then you've got to deal with uh, those financial decisions. I love that. I, I think particularly when our kids get to the high school age, that we need these kind of, uh, you know, budget exercises where they get exposed to realistic cost of living. They get exposed to realistic salaries uh, that are paid. And they understand the level of education that's needed to get different kinds of jobs. Mm -hmm. Because in my work with high school students, I, I find that they underestimate how expensive it is to live. They underestimate the amount of education they need to get jobs. And they overestimate how much jobs are going to pay them. And all of those are, are, are really tough mistakes because, you know, as a 16-year-old, they think that uh, with without going beyond high school, they're going to go out and get this executive job and they're going to make six figures. And uh, <laughs> the cost of living is, you know, about $40,000 a year to have fancy cars and nice houses. And so you really have to give them that dose of reality. And so some of these interactives that are in that next generation personal finance uh, are are really good at kind of exposing them to, to these kinds of scenarios. And so, you know, I think that's, that's really nice. Um, the federal reserve banks are really good in terms of putting together curriculum as well. And uh, the federal reserve bank of Dallas uh, has a really nice uh, piece of curriculum that deals with kind of the college uh, decision Mm -hmm. and how you're going to fund going to college and, you know, really looks at important things like how much you could save by getting your basics taken care of by going to community college mm -hmm. uh, and then transfer in to the four-year university to finish up and, uh, you know, be able to save significant amounts of money uh, by doing that. I know at my own university, it's one of those where the cost of living in the dorm and having a meal plan is more than the cost of tuition oh, wow. uh, to, to go to school as a full-time student. So sometimes, you know, just looking at, could I, you know, live at home or have other kinds of uh, living arrangements in order to cut down on that cost. And uh, again, it makes it much less uh, 
expensive in terms of, of going and getting a university education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, those are some great resources. Go ahead, Sal. The FDIC has that uh, money smart for grades yep. starting through uh, 12th grade. So that's also a great uh, curriculum. Um, that's something that we're exploring uh, to bring to. Yeah, I've used that one. It's really nice. What's it called? Money smart. Money smart. Money smart. Okay. For you. Another one as well. All right. Well, as always, we will have all of these resources on our website so that all of our listeners will be able to take advantage of them. Gentlemen, thank you guys so much for being on the show. This was very helpful information. Thank you for for, uh, allowing me to to be part of it. (laughs) No, thanks. It was fun. We enjoyed it. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Noggin Educational Foundation is the premier sponsor of School Days, so we always want to let you know what's going on with Noggin. Our mission is to help close the achievement gap for economically disadvantaged children by improving educational opportunities for students, supporting families, and encouraging excellence and innovation in the classroom. School Days is part of our commitment to support families by providing access to experts who offer information and resources regarding all topics that impact education. If you love this program, please consider donating to Noggin. Your gift will be tax tax deductible. Head to our website, schooldazedshow.com to give today. Tomorrow, on a special Wednesday episode of School Days, we will welcome Catherine Wimbry, who is a middle school counselor and licensed professional counselor intern, and Michael Flores, who is the director of Brighter Possibilities Family Counseling. My guests have extensive experience working with students and will help us uh, wade through the emotions that our kids are dealing with regarding coronavirus. So join us tomorrow at 11 a.m. tomorrow on our Facebook page um, live on Noggin Educational Foundation. So don't forget to share that with your parent friends. As always, head to our website, schooldazedshow.com for more information about all that we're doing and all the resources we mention here on School Days. And remember, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, we always want to end the show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us us the wisdom and strength that we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to email me at info at schooldaysshow.com. Have a great week and stay safe. School Days is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.